Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You're about to hear a preview of Partially Examined Life supporter exclusive content. To learn how to get the whole thing, check out partiallyexaminedlife.com slash support. This is the Partially Examined Life, episode 313, part three. Still discussing the motsu, which we started in the Against Fatalism chapter. Yeah, how well did we explain that? Should we say what it is by just reading from the text? The advocates of fatalism say, if fate decrees that the state will be wealthy it will be wealthy. If it decrees that it will be poor, it will be poor. If it decrees that the population will be numerous, it will be numerous, meager, meager, et cetera, and so et cetera. And though a man tries to combat fate, what can he do? Mm-hmm. They expound such doctrines to the rulers and high officials and keep the people from pursuing their tasks. Hence, the fatalists are lacking in benevolence and their words must therefore be carefully examined. So it's an interesting way of putting it, right? So it sounds a little bit like the question of free will, versus determinism it's more like regardless of that more abstract philosophical question there's a more ordinary question of whether we can alter things that are kind of written into the way things are or our character you know the essence factor in existentialism right which is related to determinism but just just all the things that we might have to fight against one might say well that's just the way things are and there's not much that we can do our own efforts to resist it Yes, to the existentialist kinds of things about how our lives are working, but also about very practical things. You could have added on here without losing anything. If the population is dying of illness, the population will be dying of illness. If a man has a long life, he will have a long life. If it decrees that he will die young, he will die young. You know, If he decrees that he'll get crushed in a construction accident, he'll get crushed in a construction accident. It's the kind of thing that it's cultivating the status quo in two bad ways. One is that you can't affect how the world works. And the other is that it plays into the authorities being able to say, well, guess shit happens. Guess, you know, your, your poor shitty life is your poor shitty life. Yeah, it seems to apply, you know, as you're getting it, Dylan, both at the general level and the personal level, right? So if you're going to die young, you're going to die young. Although maybe whether it's personal or state level, maybe it's alluding to systemic forces, but rather than, you know, obviously there are certain things that we can change at a personal level, but there are big things, I think. And so this is why I mentioned last time, it's related to the concept of ideology and critiques of ideology. So the critique of ideology is that it represents the interests of one class as sort of just natural, right? So there's a big systemic problem like class inequalities in the classes proletariat, the bourgeoisie, and what the ideological component in the society, the ideology that helps perpetuate that, according to Marx, is just that, well, that's natural. You know, some people are going to be well off, some people aren't, and there's not much you can do about it. The poor are poor, and they're that way characterologically. And so you're not going to just change that from a, you know, on high, and it's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. So I think that characterizes the fatalism part. Well, the way we referred to this earlier is the second paragraph, which is, 
Well, let's analyze this. And then this is, this is the section where he talks about the principles of analyzing those kinds of propositions. That's really interesting, Dylan, that you're highlighting that because it's the only real section where we get, you know, kind of meta considerations about, all right, well, how should we evaluate mm-hmm. arguments and positions? And it comes later in the text. And it's specifically in relation to fatalism, right? Or into the need to critique something ideological. But you don't think this yeah. has been implicit in the rest of the text that these three things, it, it seems like. Yes. I yeah. Mean, why has. he's spelling yeah. it out yeah. here? Yeah. Luckily, Burton Watson spelled it out to us in the intro, so we knew to look for this in the earlier chapters, but as far as the actual text goes. It's just a selection. I mean, who knows why exactly Watson selected these and put them in this particular order? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't I mean, it's whatever it was, a thousand pages worth of text that he pulled out, this mm-hmm. hundred pages. Yeah. And we pointed out that earlier that it was pretty ethically focused or whatever, or like political philosophy focused as opposed to logic and scientifically focused though this part seems to point towards that even if this chapter wasn't in here it would have to go without saying based on you know if you're going to have a character focused concept of how to rule the state or how to order your house or what have you then you have to have the concept of improvement and development and learning and inculcation and early on when he's talking about raising if the farmer is the virtuous one put them in charge of whatever. I think it's no accident too that the against Confucianism chapter follows because the idea, as I understand it, you know, that Confucianism has, it's kind of a caste system to some extent that you play the role that you're born into. And so this is really just an articulation of something that's there throughout the entire text. Given how, what a straw man he actually uses in the against Confucianism chapter, I had always associated Confucianism with a meritocracy, you know, with the testing that they do have long done in China, you know, for civil service and stuff like that, such that this would be, this meritocracy thing would be something that actually Confucianism and Moism would have in common. But whether the Moists actually thought the Confucians of their time had this as part of their beliefs, I don't know. So you might be right that it's a consistent line of argument, whether it's against real opponents or at least anything that resembles the Confucianism that we read, I'm not sure predestination for the Calvinists, your station is determined, but you want to demonstrate that. You want to demonstrate that you're in the elite class, that you're saved. I mean, yes, there's an afterworldly component to this, but I think if the idea is that people who are successful in this life are the ones that are going to go to heaven, then you want to show everybody that you're in the successful category. So it actually makes you, that belief in fate, in predestination, makes you try harder. Yeah, that's one counter argument, <laughs> maybe. That's a tough one because you've got that whole concept of the afterlife tied up in it mm-hmm. that I'm not sure is present here and kind of have always had issues with both working, suffering in this life for the rewards of the afterlife as well as with the Calvinist point of view. I mean, if you can't connect your ethical framework to the lived experience in the here and now or the direct impact on others in your vicinity in the world, then you've basically got nothing. I mean, as far as I'm concerned. So the one thing that fatalism allows us to do, I'm trying to, I'm now I'm trying to think about Mark's idea that in a way fatalism and striving can be compatible because what it does help us do is to kind of take some of the moralizing out of it. Right. You know, I could say, well, I'm not wealthy. I haven't tried hard enough. I'm a bad person. Crack the whip. I'm going to do better. 
Or you could say, well, I'm up against certain limitations in my circumstances and my personality, and so I'm not wealthy. And I could continue to strive because maybe fate will decree that further striving will make something happen. But if it doesn't happen, then I can let myself off of the hook a little bit. I would make a distinction between acceptance of circumstance as being different than the kind of fatalism being described. I guess I can see that it's on a continuum, that you know, fatalism is a kind of acceptance of whatever's going on. But it seems to me, like in the examples given, and the way I would normally interpret fatalism, is just being more extreme than just accepting things that one can't control, for instance. Well, there's a problem with the scope of fatalism, which we kind of got into a little bit, right? It's not like my wagon breaks and Oh, the wheel fell off. It's faded, and I'm not so I'm not going to try to put a new wheel on. Obviously, but that's, that's that's not. what it seems like. He, what he's actually accusing his his uh, it just completely undermines doing anything because you'll be just like, if the crops are going to grow, they're just going to grow naturally. I, you know, there's no point in my planting seeds. I can't affect anything. Nobody believes that. That's got to be a straw man. So that's the thing. It's like what? So what is the scope of fatalism? Is it just about these big systemic? things. I mean, obviously, it's not about the wheel falling off the cart. So what is it about? What's changeable? What's not? And that's unclear. I mean, his examples, I agree that there's not the clarity of how far he's willing to go. And in the Confucian chapter, he descends into some kind of straw man type arguments. But the example from the paragraph we read, I think, highlights the problems that we pointed out regarding status quo behavior and political problems regarding the way in which people in authority would leverage fatalism in order to resist change to their position. You're being fatalist, like if you don't do anything, that, that I agree, it's not a legitimate argument against it. Stoics are fatalists, right? Because the universe is going to do what it's going to do. I can control how I respond to it. So as we said in our Stoicism chapter, that in our debates about Stoicism, we thought, well, maybe that could lead you to just say it's all out of my hands. But like the more business-minded <laughs> Stoics are like, yeah, so you can... You figure out which parts are under your control and put your nose to the grindstone and you can actually change quite a bit. Well, what you control with stoicism is you control your own thoughts and your own frame of mind and via those thoughts, your own emotional responses. But your own efforts. You can't control the results of what your efforts produce in the world. You might try as hard as you can and still you don't make headway and don't achieve your goals, but you can control how hard you try. Yeah, but your efforts are... They're circumstantially determined too, right? If you have both hands tied behind your back. So whether or not you get to put any effort into anything is not in your control. But yeah, granting certain circumstances, yeah, you can try to make things happen, given your preferences. As long as you understand that none of it is actually good or bad. Just what you prefer. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support. Thanks for listening.